Jesus says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Father, we humbly pause and just ask for the help of your Holy Spirit now as we open the Word of God in an act of worship. Please prepare us, Lord, and we ask that by the power and the voice of your Spirit that you would speak to us through the Word of God this day, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, what is it in your life right now that you find yourself worrying about? I think, honestly, probably the two greatest threats robbing people of experiencing what God desires for their life right now is either, one, too much focus on their past, that is, regrets that they have within, or maybe nursing anger about things that have happened. I think the second thing that tends to rob people as well is too much concern about their future. That is the unknown of the days ahead, fearfulness about what is unknown or what may happen. Now look, as for the past, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the antidote for the past because that's where forgiveness of sins is found, where guilt can be removed from our conscience, regrets can be kind of dealt with as we put them under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's also what enables us to let go of anger regarding things that maybe have happened in the past as Jesus gives us the grace to do that. As for concerns for the future, that is fears and worries of the unknown, Jesus addresses that in our passage in front of us this morning. The antidote we'll see for overcoming worry is how we actually think about things as a child of God. The background, Matthew 6, or excuse me, 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus giving the longest teaching that we have recorded in the gospel accounts, giving kingdom principles. And Jesus, particularly in this most recent section of the teaching, has been emphasizing the idea how as his followers, God actually becomes our heavenly father. And our father in heaven is a good and a perfect father, greater than any human father, even on his absolute best day. He loves us greatly. We are valuable to him as his children. And he takes really good care of his kids. In fact, listen to the words, if you would, if you go up with me to verse 25. Just listen to what Jesus is saying prior to our text about this subject. Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, as Jesus continues on this subject, 
He gives some great wisdom to us here in the verses in front of us regarding how to navigate worry. As I look at the passage, four things, kind of four main things, come to mind as far as what Christ is saying in these statements here in these last few verses. If you're a note taker, the first thing I see in verse 31 is this, is that Jesus does not want us to live distracted by fears and concerns about how things are going to work out. Let me say that again. Jesus does not want us to live distracted with fears and concerns about how things are going to turn out. Look what he says in verse 31. He says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Take notice, Jesus does not just suggest it would be best for us not to worry. He actually gives a command to the child of God who has a very good heavenly father by saying the command is do not worry. We're instructed or commanded not to worry. The word worry speaks of being anxious or uneasy about things. It speaks of how we can become fearful and concerned in mind because we're letting our thoughts focus or even dwell too much on trouble or maybe possible difficulties that could arise in the days ahead. That word worry that Jesus uses there in verse 31 in the original language was a compound term that speaks of allowing one's mind to be pulled in different directions, allowing our thoughts to be pulled this way and pulled that way back and forward, where your thoughts, instead of being focused on the thing they should be and being focused on what they should be, instead your thoughts are very distracted. Your mind is pulled in all different directions, disrupting your thinking and actually causing you to actually begin to start to lose mental stability. And Jesus says here that we are not to allow our mind to remain in this troubled condition, in this troubled condition of worry where mentally we are becoming unstable and pulled in all different directions. And the reason is it demonstrates a lack of faith towards the dependability of God as a good father. And secondly, it's also destructive to us personally to be living in that condition of continuous worry. Notice Jesus illustrates in verse 31 what worry looks like. He illustrates it this way by saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And he's showing that it's pictured by continual questioning of concerns about how things are going to work out, indicating that we are fearful about how things are going to go. We're concerned about how is it going to work out and how is it going to unfold and what will the days ahead hold and, and what if I'm not able to make it? And by way of illustration, just like we have symptoms when we have a health issue in our body, and when you have a health issue in your body, there's a problem going on inside, it then is demonstrated and revealed by the symptomatic effects that are going on within your body. Well, in the same way, the plague of worry, Jesus shows us, the plague of worry is revealed by the condition of having a mind that is constantly questioning questioning about this, concerned about that, how things are going to work out in the days ahead. It's asking things constantly like, where's our food and clothing going to come from? 
How in the world are the bills going to get paid? How are our needs going to be met? Or just honestly, any form of questioning about life in general. Jesus gives a few questions there, but the idea is just a constant questioning. It's the, what if this should happen? And you can fill in the blank. Or we might say, what about this? Or how are we going to that? Uh, what if I'm not able to, or, or when is this? And, and worry is not responsibly thinking through things to be prepared. That's not what worry is. The fruit of worry is repeatedly having questions <clears throat> stemming from our fears and concerns of the what ifs and regarding how things are going to work out in situations. It's being overly bothered by not knowing what is going to happen in the time and day ahead of us. It's really a sinful struggle to a degree when worry goes unchecked because we're always wanting to be in control of everything. And the sin of worry, and it can indeed become a sin, the sin of worry is actually rooted in a control issue many times in our own lives, is that we so want to be in control instead of trusting God is in control and just letting our Father in heaven ultimately be the one to work things out as they unfold and just resting in the assurance that God cares for us, that our Father is going to work things out and he will help us to face whatever comes. And Jesus reminds us that worry can actually become to a degree a sin. He instructs us not to worry, so to not follow his instruction can become sinful. It's the sin, really, of human selfishness and pride and allowing a desire to be so in control that we won't trust God's control. And it's a common struggle that we all have to overcome from time to time in our lives. We're all prone to struggling with this. And Jesus doesn't want his followers to be distracted by fears and concerns of what may happen. He doesn't want us to live in that way because, again, worry dishonors God because it implies that God's kind of a negligent father, that somehow he's going to abandon his role or he's not going to be reliable as a father to take care of things. And that's not true. God is a wonderful father. He's the most reliable and faithful father, and he's a capable father with no limitations. He can do anything to take care of his children by his great power. And worry is also destructive in our lives. It's destructive mentally. It's destructive emotionally. It even can become destructive physically and even interferes with us spiritually because it hinders us from the life of faith and it distracts us from focusing on the Lord and following his plans because worry tends to pull us away from that. The second thing we take note of in verse 32 is this, if you're a note taker, is knowing and trusting our Heavenly Father will take care of us, is what reduces our need to strive after worldly things. Let me say that again. Knowing and trusting our Heavenly Father and that he will take care of us is what will then reduce the tendency in us to strive after worldly things. Look how Jesus says it in verse 32. He says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So Jesus identifies there should be a difference between the child of God who knows that God is their heavenly father and our way of life compared to those who do not serve God. 
and those who don't know God as their father. He refers in verse 32 there to the Gentiles. And there the idea is not so much the contrast of Jew-Gentile in in, uh, ethnicity as much as Jesus used the word there, Gentiles, to imply referring to those who are pagan or heathen in their morality. Some of the translations actually render it that way. The idea is those who don't know God personally. That's who Jesus is referring to. Those who do not serve him and live independent of God in their lives. Those who don't have a relationship with Jesus and they just live in a self-serving way and they don't know God in a personal way as their heavenly father. As a result, they live completely after what is material for most. Life is about things and things of this world and putting their own plans first. And so they're driven to seek after the things of this present world. And life is basically measured foremost by things, by tangible things, by material things, by how things are going. And such a person has little concern for God has very little concern for people. Instead, they seek after what they want for themselves, pursuing happiness and fulfillment. So their life pursuit becomes characterized by getting all they can for themselves in this life now and experiencing everything now, making sure they have all they need and want and relying fully on themselves to make sure they grab it and get it according to their desires. They kind of feel as if everything is dependent upon their efforts and what they can accomplish on earth. Now, as the result of that, as they seek after these things, they feel they have to completely watch out for themselves and take care of themselves. So they have to strive and stress and do all they can of what's best for themselves because they feel if not, they're going to be in jeopardy of not making it. They're going to be in danger of being able to have all they need or get all they want. So as a result, they're motivated by the underlying fear and worry that drives them as a person to be concerned about just making it, doing everything they can to get by. So they live kind of in a chronic state of underlying mental anxiety. Always wondering, well, if I do this, will it work out? If I don't do that, how's it going to work out? And whether they would admit it or not, they're perpetually feeling stressed about the future. It's what drives them and motivates them. And it's why, honestly, so many people in our world are so stressed out why they are so overwhelmed. It's why in our American culture, we use medication and prescriptions more than anywhere else in the world because people are constantly trying to deal with their stress and anxieties and depressions and and the constant wrestling that's going on because they are striving to make everything happen. And they are stressing to make sure that they get their way in the world. And that's why people are constantly fighting against one another and doing what they can to push one another away to get to the top. And one mark of the person who does not know God is this very thing, that their life is governed by stressing and striving and looking out for number one and doing everything they can because they feel so pressured that it's all dependent upon them. Now, In contrast to that, Jesus says those who know God personally by following the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore seeing and knowing God as their heavenly father, our lives should be characterized by something different. We're not chasing things. We're not living foremost stressed out by trying to grab everything in this present world 
and thinking we are responsible to make sure that everything goes well in our lives. Instead, Jesus says, verse 32, your heavenly father, those who know God, not like the Gentiles, your heavenly father, he says, he knows that you need all these things. So Jesus says, we know that our father is fully aware of what we need in our lives the basic necessities, and even things beyond that because he's a good and caring father. And he is more than able somehow to always make sure that we get taken care of, and he delights to take care of us, just as a father finds fulfillment in actually taking care of his children. He feels that's his role when he finds enjoyment. And our father in heaven has unlimited resources. He has no limitations, He's able to supply whatever we need, however it needs to come to pass, to provide what's necessary, and to work all things out for our best interests as his children. And he is continually taking care of us in that way. And the child of God understands this, and that gives rest mentally, and it gives, in a sense, a peace and an assurance internally as we believe our Heavenly Father knows that we need all these things. Look what Jesus says, actually, in regards to relating to God as a father. Instead of striving and seeking and stressing, if you just glance over to chapter 7, look what Jesus says there. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 7. Jesus simply tells us, don't strive and stress. He says, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? That is something that's going to harm him. Then he says, verse 11, if you then being evil, that is as imperfect human fathers, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God wants us to live dependently upon him, allowing his care for us to unfold as a good father. Certainly we're to be responsible, doing our part, taking care of our family chores, doing what we should, but also we're to learn how to live reliant upon God as our father, knowing that he is a good father. We don't have to chase and seek things. We can know God is involved and God is always aware of what's taking place in our lives. And unlike a dysfunctional earthly father who neglects his role, our God is an utterly responsible father. And he is faithful and reliable to his role as a dad. And he can orchestrate things and supply things to bring about what is best for us as his children. So knowing that our Heavenly Father will take care of us is what reduces that tendency to stress and to strive after things in the world as many do. Thirdly, we take note of in verse 33 that if we make living God's way the most important thing to us, then God will address all of our concerns in life. Let me say that again. If we make God's way of living the most important thing to us, then God will address all our concerns in life. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
So Jesus says those in the world who don't know God as their father, they are seeking, chasing, striving, all these things. He said, but your father knows that you need all these things and he'll take care of those things. And Jesus says, this is what you should do. You, in contrast, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then these things will be added into your life. Jesus gives here both an important principle to govern our way of life as well as a valuable promise when we live the way that God wants us to. First of all, notice Jesus states an important principle, how to operate. He says there in verse 33 that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is, unlike the unconverted soul who seeks the things of this world, Jesus says what we are to seek That is what we pursue, the thing that we are focusing our attention on going after and trying to achieve. Our pursuit should be the things of the kingdom of God, the things that are of God and that matter to God, that which is spiritual, that which is eternal. We should focus our attention upon God and the things of his kingdom, things like prayer and talking to God and seeking God. We should focus our attention upon the word of God itself, making it a priority in our life and giving time and attention to read God's word and to be taught God's word. We should put our seeking efforts on worshiping the Lord, being with God's people, serving God's purposes. Colossians 3 says, seek those things which are above where Christ is and set your mind on things above. We should also, Jesus says, be pursuing or seeking after his righteousness. The idea there is doing what is right in God's sight, not in the world's sight, not in our own perspective of what's right or wrong. We should be making our decisions based upon what is right from God's perspective. That's what it means to seek his righteousness as well as his kingdom. That is, we bring every situation in our life before him saying, Lord, what is right in your sight? In this situation, Lord, what would you tell me is the right way to handle this situation? Because, Lord, that's what I want to do, not what seems best for me, not what might protect my interests. But, Lord, what's right before you? What is right in your sight? That should be our primary goal in how we make our life choices. And notice these are things Jesus says, verse 33, that we should be seeking after first. That is what is of first importance, and what is the top priority in how we live as well as the way we make decisions. That is, seeking the Lord and the things of his kingdom should be the top priority in our way of living as children of God. The question, however, is this. Is that really true of your lifestyle right now? If you genuinely take inventory of your lifestyle of how you make decisions, is it true that you are seeking first the kingdom of God? When you make your decisions, when you have to make choices, small and large, does it characterize your decision-making that you always seek first to do what is righteous in the sight of the Lord? Is that your top priority? This way of living, folks, look, does not come automatic. It has to be consciously chosen. Our sinful nature wants to default to many other things, worry or doing what's selfish or protecting our interests or making decisions according to how the world makes decisions. We have to always seek to keep this mindset from verse 33 
determined in our way of operation, that we say, I am going to determine consciously to live that way. I am going to initiate that that is the way I want to govern my life, to make my decisions, to make my choices with the kingdom of God as the top priority. That that's going to characterize how my family operates over all other things. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God. That when I have to make my choices, the most important thing is the Lord. The most important thing is doing things God's way, seeking his will first, knowing what that is and saying, Lord, if I have to make this decision, what puts me in the blessed place to seek first the kingdom of God? That that would be the way we'd make decisions. Do I take this job or don't take that job? Well, what's going to give you a better opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God? Do I move here or move there? What's going to get in a better place to be seeking first the kingdom of God? Do I enter into a relationship? Do I end a relationship? Well, what's going to put you in the best place for seeking first the kingdom of God? This is what should characterize our lives. And what oftentimes keeps us from living this way, quite frankly, is a lack of faith and a tendency to worry as a human being. So Jesus, therefore, gives a promise at the end of verse 33. He says, you do your part, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then the promise of God, all these things that you worry about will be added to you. So Jesus here says all the other things we tend to worry about regarding how things will work out if we put God first, he says, if we do that, those things will just be added into your life. God as an act of grace will just add into your life what is necessary as a gracious blessing and gift because you honor him. Because you in faith put him first, God will put you first and put you first in line to add into your life to make sure that you have the things that you need. He'll deposit as blessings with very little effort on your part. While others are chasing things, God will just be dropping into your lap certain things that others are chasing around for. As, as others are seeking and striving to get things, while you're not seeking and striving to get things, but you're seeking first God and his kingdom as your top priority, God will address and supply what you need. And as an act of grace, he'll just start adding good things into your life. He'll just start depositing blessings into your life for rewarding you for putting him first. Our logic and fear, I know it, we've all gone through it, says, but Lord, if I truly live this way, And if I truly put you first and always put you first in daily decisions or choices or major life ways of approaching things, if I always put you and your kingdom first, what about this then? And then how would that work out? And and what if this then doesn't happen? And what Jesus says is, trust me, I promise you, if you put the kingdom of God first, I promise you, Jesus says, I'll take care of things. Give me a chance, give me an opportunity, Jesus would say, to show my faithfulness to you. Try me. Live, verse 33, test it out, and watch if I don't add to you the very things that you need. Well, the fourth and final thing we see in our last verse is this, by way of a point in this, is that nobody but God can know what will happen on earth tomorrow. And since nobody but God knows what will happen on earth tomorrow, it is best to focus on giving our best today, and not be paralyzed by the what-ifs of tomorrow. 
See what Jesus says in conclusion, verse 34. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, just in case we missed it, for the fifth time, Jesus in this section says, therefore, do not worry. Now he adds specifically, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, that is the unknown future, the day ahead, the week ahead, the month ahead, the thing that we honestly have no control over. And oh, how easy it is and how often we do worry and fear about tomorrow. And Jesus says that solves nothing because no one as a human being knows what will happen tomorrow. This has nothing to do with, again, being irresponsible and living irresponsibly in your choices. And, oh, who cares what it brings? Well, that's just dumb. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. This is to help alleviate the person who's already trying to build a bridge into tomorrow and try and start working on issues and situations, which is a human impossibility because you can't build a bridge into tomorrow, just like you can't return to the past. Jesus says, notice, tomorrow will worry about its own things. The idea is it'll bring its own set of worries, and when those things happen, you can take care of those things when they begin to rise, even if they do. Because oftentimes we become distracted mentally and stressed emotionally because we're trying to figure out problems of the days ahead, and we don't even have a guarantee whether they're going to happen or not. So Jesus says it's better to realize that you have to just wait and see what happens tomorrow and stay focused on today and deal with tomorrow if and when those situations arise in tomorrow once you get to tomorrow. Don't borrow troubles that don't even exist yet, Jesus is saying. That's just a worthless thing to do. There's plenty to be thinking about right now, yet many people are frozen with fears of what might happen down the road. Warren Wearsby says this, worrying about tomorrow does not help either today or tomorrow. If anything, it just robs us of our effectiveness today, which means we will even be less effective tomorrow. Listen, God gives grace day by day. And today he gives grace for the situations today. And when tomorrow comes, and not till tomorrow comes, God will give grace for those things if and when those things arise. That's why Jesus' wisdom at the end of this verse is fantastic. He says, the end of verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The idea is one day's routine has enough troubles to deal with for one day. It's more than enough to keep us occupied and busy to taking care of things. Each day has its own troubles and challenges to responsibly address, and that's more than enough to keep us properly focused. So it's best to focus on giving our best to today. And let tomorrow bring what it does, but seek to please God in the day that you're in because that's what's guaranteed. Leave tomorrow to God's arena. Let that be God's arena to address when it comes and seek to please God today. So how do we overcome worry? Well, we have to choose to believe that Jesus's words are true and our thoughts and our feelings can often lie. And that his words are credible and our emotions and thoughts often can misguide us. My encouragement, commit these truths to memory and then live them by faith and watch how your feelings and thoughts may arise, but the truth of Jesus' words can subdue those things and bring peace back into your life. Would you pray with me?